What's up, everyone? My name is Rishi Sony, and welcome back to the Games Gone podcast. As usual, we have my two incredible brothers with me. We have Rithik Sony. What is up, people? We're back for another episode, so tune in. And we have Shiv Sony Sada. Hey, everyone. Looking forward to this one. Football's back, baby. Football is back and we love it. Um, so in this one, um, we are going to talk about the top four uh, race. Okay. And we're going to talk about six teams in specific. As always, um, we're going to have the standard teams such as Man United, Liverpool, uh, Man City and Chelsea. But this year, we have to we have to bring in Newcastle and um Obviously, Arsenal is also a, an, a classic team involved in the top four race, as always, as well. So, But this year is incredible. It's, it's tight. You know, a lot of the big teams that you think are supposed to be doing well, i.e. your Liverpool and Man City, especially in recent years to go by, are not doing so well. I could say, make an argument for City is not doing as well as they should be, you know. Um, and you have teams such as Arsenal leading the pack, Newcastle throwing their name into the hat and saying like, hey, what's going on over here, boys? And um, you also have um, just these teams just, just ready to bounce. I mean, you know, Chelsea's slacking. Liverpool have some issues. You know, United all of a sudden have come come through. Ten Hag is figuring things out, you know. So it's all really exciting stuff. And today we're going to sort of get a more insight into what each team is going through and where we see the top four eventually will land, you know. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, it's boys, it's only right to start with Arsenal, the top table of the club at the moment. I mean, let me ask you, let me ask you, <laughs> Arsenal will win the league. Okay. Is that me? I will answer you? this question to like briefly, but I will hand it off to to Rithik, and then you guys say this thing. I personally do think that they could do it. Two reasons why: they are actually being very consistent, and the teams behind them, aka the cities of this world and the Liverpool's, well, Liverpool's out of the title race anyway. But those two teams that you have seen in the past two years are not. So, I believe they could do it. You know, I do. Yeah. What do you think? I think they could do it. Do I think they will do it? No, I don't think they will do it. I think City, you we've seen this from City before. You know, they, they do they too tend to kind of start a bit slowly, you know, they've dropped a few points. Um, but then towards the middle, especially the festive season when it gets all crazy, they consistent churning out games, winning one game, two games, three games, four games. They, next thing you know, they could be on a streak. You know, they've done this before. Um, I will say City, yes, they, they aren't as good as they were last season in the sense that they were, I think they're two or three points off from where this point, they were, they are two or three points less, they have two or three less points at this point of the season than they did at last point, last year in the season. But you know, there hasn't been an alarming drop-off. I think there have been a few worrying signs that I could we could talk about, you know, when we speak about City. But you just can't, you know, you can't not back Pep to get it right and for them to go on to win the league. 
I, as much as I hate saying it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. The gap between them is five points now, 17 games in. So we're just before the halfway mark. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about Arsenal. I, I think they have a shot at it, but they need certain things to go their way, if you know what I mean. Like, I think they're 11, at least 10 of them have to stay healthy. Because right. as a team, Arsenal have zero depth. Yeah. Like they, yeah. Like, you know, they've managed to replace Jesus with Nketiah, but that's it. You can't replace Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, Partey. They are all essential, essential players to this system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could lose Xhaka and BAK. You could lose one defender and BAK. But if you lose any of those four, you're really in a difficult position. Mm-hmm. But I think... I think for me, the one reason Arsenal may not win it is their fixtures. They may be five points ahead of City, but they haven't played City at all yet because the game got postponed. Mm-hmm. Which There are still two Arsenal versus City games. I mean, what a game that's going to be. But if you think mm-hmm. about just that, those two games are a six-point swing. True. And True. You know, it could be that Arsenal, you know, if Arsenal play a play out their boots and come come away with a win or even two draws or something like that, then they are in the driving seat. But it's very hard to say that Arsenal will win the league until we see how they do against their closest competitor in C. Mm-hmm. Ritik, I want to ask you, how, how do you think those two games would go at current state? You know? Uh, those are very. Those are top of the table clashes, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So for the away game, I think Arsenal are going to have to be very resolute because we know how City can start fast when they're at home. You know, it happened to it happened to Liverpool last year when Liverpool went away to City and uh, we struggled in the first forty-five minutes. We couldn't keep up. With the pace, they you know they completely dominated the ball, which is going to happen with City, right? So Arsenal are going to have to they're going to have to be on their off ball shape quite a lot. Um, they're going to be compact with um, with City playing uh, this dominant possession based football. I think what's different with City this year rather than you know years gone is they have Haaland now, which okay we can talk about how brilliant Haaland is, and you know he just needs one touch in the box. Um, for a goal, but you have to think about what he does to their build-up play. Because when they played a false nine, they had every single player had the ability to kind of contribute to pass. You know, to to come the false nine would drop back and help contribute in build-up. When you've got Haaland, you don't want that. you want him to be just in the box, just mm-hmm. there. So they've kind of like started to play around him, which makes him look a bit less fluid at times and I know and you know I think Arsenal will get chances in that game. Um I think it, it'll be on the counter. I think City, mm-hmm. especially the Newcastle game has shown they are they can be prone to a counter attack and in be hit on transition. Mm-hmm. So and Arsenal have definitely got the quality to do that, you know. It just mm-hmm. depends on whether they can take their chances on the day. You know, it, yeah. if Jesus is back for that game, I don't exactly know when the game is, but, you know, he can be wasteful at times and Ketia can be wasteful. You've got Saka and Martinelli who can be very clinical. So if they can take their chance, it'll be a real struggle for City, I think. 
oh, and Partey has to be fit. If Partey isn't fit, they're going to struggle in that game. Mm. Yeah. So if I recall, the first Arsenal City game is the 15th of February. Um, and then the second one is, I think, later on. So I think Jesus will be back for the second, but not the first, because they're saying Jesus right. will be back at the end of Feb. Right. Uh, yeah, Arsenal played the mighty Manchester United before that, and they lost to them last time. So <laughs> the mighty City Manchester two United. Of the same fixtures, just inverse. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I wanna. I mean, obviously, we couldn't really talk about Arsenal without talking about Man City, right? But I wanna ask specifically for Arsenal: how much of it of this run that they're in this season is comes down to young and fearless play versus? them actually developing and, and having a system that works no matter what. You you get what I'm trying to say? Because a lot of their players, I mean, even if you have Jesus in there, he's 25 and he's won it all with Man City. So he brings that little bit of experience, but then you have Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, um, a few of their other players, Ben White and all. These guys are all very young. And relatively inexperienced. So, how much of their play right now is down to just young and fearlessness, and taking advantage of the moment and and the, and the sort of phase of that they're in? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because I think Arsenal have the youngest squad in the Premier League, don't they? They're right, the youngest. They do. And I don't know if anybody else has seen the All or Nothing season with Arsenal last year. Yeah, yeah we have. Yeah, both I have. It really, it really shows kind of Arteta's impact. But if you if you watched that, and I highly recommend it, it's an excellent, excellent series. But Arsenal kind of buckled under the pressure at the end of last season right. and threw away their top four spot. But I think in a way, that experience will help them this season. Mm. If you look at individual players in the Arsenal team, you now have... You know, the entire team struggled with that top four battle last time. You've already mentioned Jesus, Saka at the Euros, then the World Cup. They're young, but they have experienced pressure cooker situations in the past. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, had Arsenal been first this time last year, they wouldn't have been ready to carry on. But I think because Mm. they've seen that downside, that heartbreak before, Mm -hmm. they'll feel more prepared for the pressure cooker that is to come in the next, uh, let's call it three months. I hear you. I hear you. I'd agree with that. But I would caveat that by saying it's different missing out on top four than it is a title race, especially with Manchester City. Like, it is <laughs> relentless from two fans <laughs> who have suffered from this. Right. But the scary it thing is. for us as fans, though, is that, look, think, of, think about Liverpool when they lost out by, what was it, one point? Yeah. On which occasion, buddy? <laughs> before they, before which occasion? Or they won it. Before we, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I would credit Liverpool's stronger mentality the next season to losing by one point. So the scary thing about Arsenal is that even if they don't win it this season, they have such a young team that they're going to be a powerhouse for a few years to come if they mm. keep the squad together. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I, I like that. And and for me personally, I think that is kind of why I would like to see Arsenal win. Just because, in my opinion, okay, I don't you don't have to uh, agree with me. I just feel like 
I mean, personally, I'm very tired of seeing Man City win. Okay, <laughs> but on a, on a on a on a slightly broader level of football, they've found young gems. They've they've put them through tough situations, and they're growing with them on the, and 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 building through the youth and 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 sort of building a style of play collectively, involving youth players, bringing in the lights of Saka, Martinelli, and making them go at players. I just like that. So from a football perspective, I think that is. Sh- deserves more than you can call it what you want but at the end of the day man city have so many talents and so many so much ability to go get the big talents versus where you have to really find the gems and and produce them into stars and etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's for me personally that's what i would like to see uh, if it comes down to it, i definitely would like to see arsenal win it over like some man city well, what's interesting about City is we speak about like them having this great depth and you know being able to buy anything, which is true, right? They can buy anyone they want. But if you if you watch a lot of their games, a lot of the time Pep doesn't make substitutions or he makes them very late, like 85th mm-hmm. minute. I'm just yeah. you know, I'm just like thinking like why does he do that? I don't quite understand. If you've got such amazing depth. Why do you leave? Why do you not change something until very late? Well, a lot of people have criticized Pep of this in the past, right? When he's been knocked out of the Champions League, that he doesn't react to what's going on in the pitch quickly enough. I think it's also a bit of stubbornness, right? Because he firmly believes he has this plan. When I think you have to dive in a bit to the mindset of Pep, like he has devised this plan that he knows for if executed correctly will get them the points. Yeah. So he is not going to change from that plan if he doesn't see it work until it's until very like it really is no chance of working. Then he needs to go into you know yeah. A I bit suppose of like all a, top managers have that kind of right. stubbornness right. to them that like yeah their plan will work. We've seen it with Klopp. We've seen it with you know Pep. We've seen it with lots of team, uh, lots of managers. So right. I suppose yeah. So. I mean, we've talked about the, you know, the the Arsenal side of things. I I, I know we've inter- these two have been intertwined, obviously, but from a Man City perspective, okay. At what point do you start considering them a serious, serious, or, or not? Not they're not their serious target. But what point do you start saying that okay, we cannot mess around anymore. We have to go on those runs that have been able to beat the Liverpools of the past and etc. So at what point do you start seeing them go like, okay, we really have no time or, or space to, to make mistakes anymore? Actually, gone. Uh, no, sorry, gone, Chief. I was just about to say something. I actually you. think it's very, very soon. And <laughs> I think the reason for that, even though it's kind of still at that halfway point of the season, is the fixtures they're about to play. So if you look at their next kind of few fixtures in, forget the Cups for a second, but in the Premier League, this is their next set of fixtures, okay? Man United, Tottenham, Wolves, Tottenham, Villa, Arsenal. Mm. So in the next six games, they play Spurs twice, they play United, and they play Arsenal. And if they can't come out of that with enough wins, the title race is over. Mm-hmm. Like of that, there is no doubt. Because even even from a Man United perspective, Man United we can talk about a little bit later on. But that's not an easy game for them. Spurs won't be an easy game for them, and neither will obviously Arsenal, the league leaders. 
So if they can't get to that Arsenal game on February 15th within touching distance of Arsenal, keeping in mind that Arsenal also have difficult fixtures, then regardless of what happens in that Arsenal City game, the title race will be effectively over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think if Man City are going to prove themselves, now's the time to do it. I think if we look back at that Man City-Chelsea game, it was a real slog of a game. I don't know if anybody watched it. But they, I did. I did not. I'm sorry. But they, yeah, it, obviously very tight, one nil, late goal, but mm. they ground out the win. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I've always believed from the old Fergie era that like having grit in a team is important. Being able to win games when you're not playing that perfect football, mm-hmm. important and hugely. Hugely. I think that's what this is going to come down to. You know, can they get mm-hmm. the results against? United against Spurs twice before the Arsenal game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, to your point, I actually credit that, like that, your point about like when Ferguson was there, you have to grind those victories out, that grit. I honestly think that was the strongest thing we had going for us when throughout those years. I know we only like the Premier League only once, but then even that year we just won games, and even the years we were challenging City all the way through, we just found a way to win. I know City eventually found one extra point that we couldn't, but it's that grit that that Arsenal need or anyone needs to really win those games because it's all fine when you're winning and you're playing great football, but then those slugs like like the Man City Chelsea game, they just found a way to win. And that's all that matters at times. Yeah. So yeah, like the Newcastle Arsenal game. You know, interesting fact. Yeah. Interesting fact. Liverpool are the only team in the top six to have beaten this Newcastle team. Yeah, it's that bloody hard to beat. Uh, but we've done that it. Brings us, <laughs> that brings us perfectly into Newcastle, boys and girls. Yeah. And what vibes, right? Like, what are we saying to Newcastle? I mean. We thought that you know they're just gonna be like okay. I remember we did it. We 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 were talking about it in a pod earlier, and we were saying that how much is if their play based on momentum on what's going on right now, how much will it be affected by a break of a month or you know six week or whatever it was, and what's gonna happen for them after the break? And they are flying still. Yeah. So how serious? is this Newcastle charge for top four? Because they're here. And at the moment, they're in the top four. I think they're going to make the top four. You I do. Keep it to people. people keep thinking they're going to drop out. I would put good money on Newcastle making the top four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see an, I could see a top four of, of the, you know, Arsenal, Man City, whatever way around, uh, Newcastle and Liverpool. You could make the same argument for Man United, but it does seem less and less that they are not, they are the ones who's going to be there. It's the Chelsea, it's the Man United, it's the Liverpool that is not sure. You know, uh, Riddick, what do you, what do you think? They do look really good and real credit to Eddie Howe and, you know, making these players play like, first of all, Miguel Almiron's playing, I don't know, like an insane. Listen. Um, Listen, Miguel, Ar- Miguel Armiron is showing Jack Grealish how to play football, my sons. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't, I, I'm still on the, I don't like Jack for that. <laughs> but no, 
He's playing yeah, so well. Yeah, you know, you know, he's turned Ed Jolington into this centre mid who's and he's he's playing really well. He's got something going with the team. You know, they're very hard to beat. They're sharp on transition, and they can dominate the game when they need to. Right when they need to play well, they will. Against the top teams, they don't care how how they play. They're just like, listen, you come beat us. That's no, that's not a problem with us. You know, they they did that to Arsenal. Okay, maybe you know you could have said like Arsenal could have gotten a penalty or blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, they didn't score, and they're the only team to stop Arsenal from scoring this season. They've scored in every game so far. Yeah, I mean credit to Eddie Howe, right? Because. Yeah, we talk about injuries and depth and stuff. Newcastle have had their problems this season. Yeah, they lost Wilson for a period. They lost Sam Maximilian for a period. I think they even lost Isaac for a while, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, or Isaac, as people people say his name. But uh, I, know, I had I had him in my fantasy team that week, and they lost him. I haven't gotten him back. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, they found ways to win. Yeah, and they've consistently done it. Now I know they've played one more game than the rest of the top four, and mm-hmm. they're joint on points of Man United. But they also, and you know, I hate to be that guy that talks about fixtures again, but they have the easiest fixtures of the top four. Because they've played their harder games. So mm-hmm. you know, we have to consider that as well. I think I think it's very difficult to write Newcastle off. I think it would take a serious drop in form from this point on. Yeah. yeah. I personally I mean yeah, I agree with you. It would seriously take a lot for them to suddenly fall off a cliff. And that's kind of what people um, should be expecting because shouldn't be expecting. Like, Newcastle are here and right now. So, like I said, it. I feel like at this current phase, they, they're pro- they are, the, I mean, they're amongst the top four. But how many times have we seen something like this? Where a team is absolutely flying, and then come the later round, the later stage of the of the Premier League, the real tight end, and they just suddenly fall to fifth. Yeah. You know, you had Leicester, for example, two years in a row. Um, you could make a case for Arsenal last year; like they were flying at many different points. And I know it's a bit different, and I know each situation is different, but we have seen something like this before where a team unexpected is flying and is it dominating however sometimes they fall short because they don't have the experience or they don't have uh, or or injuries play a part or whatever the case may be there's various different situations but how much of that do you expect anything like that for Newcastle do you I don't know do you do you see it coming do you anything that could be of interest if, if a player gets injured which which is key players I don't know I think that's what's making me slightly like hesitant to fully back Newcastle to make top four. It we I mean just think about this. We're not even halfway through the season, mm-hmm. and yes, they are flying, but it, it's it's when it's in the second half where of the season where sometimes you get these one odd result here that could make the difference. For example, like. Last year, Leicester lost to, I don't know, whoever. Whoever it was when they dropped out the top four. They were in the top four for the longest time and then they dropped out because they lost to one, two extra games. I think, yes, we've had a break, which makes it a bit different this year, but fatigue will play a part in this in this run-in uh, to you know, the end of the season. 
Although, yes, you know, Newcastle have less fixtures. They've got more time between games and stuff. Well, they even had fewer players represented at the, at the World Cup than the top, the rest of the top, the traditional top four teams or the top six or however you want to see it. Yeah. So, you just don't know. I, I, I think... I think Newcastle would do well to finish in Europa League spots this year, personally. And that would be amazing for them, you know, that when's the last time they were in Europe? Champions League, okay. I feel, is one a bit too far at this at this point. With the players they have, mm-hmm. I don't think they're Champions League quality. And I don't think they will make top four. I think they will fall to fifth or sixth. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see... How Newcastle react to losing a game? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I was I, I was reading up on yeah because Eddie Howe people are talking about his managerial style a lot at the moment. They haven't lost a game, and I was shocked to hear this since, since us. I think yeah, since August when they played you. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I think they last seemed to outrageous. Be like I know we had the World Cup gap, which was a month, but even then. To mm-hmm. not lose a game in you know going on four months is absolutely it's incredible. It's and incredible. you have to consider, you know, I feel like mindset is a very important thing in sport. And the Newcastle players are probably sitting there thinking, we haven't lost in months. We're, no one can mm-hmm. beat us. But what happens when they lose? Will that change right. where they play? Right. And also... I mean, like you can he can make a case of law of law of averages, right? At yeah. the end of the day, we have we have seen teams of the past, your cities, your Liverpools, uh, your Uniteds back in the day when for you have gone these these long runs of undefeated and then been able to get over the line or or go yeah. through all the way through. But one thing is, those teams were expected to do it, or 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 of the the of the quality. To be able to do it, whereas a lot of these players and um, the team of Newcastle is kind of still defying odds, if that makes sense. So, how much of it will be, like you said, once once they do lose or or if they hit a bad patch of form, what happens then? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before we move on from Newcastle, I had a question for you too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Newcastle got that oil money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that era of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we what are we saying for Newcastle in say five years five years' time? Powerhouse of football? I think it'll be longer than five years. But yeah. I think it'll be look, it'll be they'll be up there. I mean, I think that they will they will easily brush past the likes of Spurs uh, in, in the top teams sort of thing because um, and because they got the money to and they got the facilities to. Now, whether they, they go through a phase where they have a bit of a situation where they're hiring and firing or have they find someone and they stick with him and then they go all the way through. So having the money doesn't necessarily provide you the platform to be the powerhouse. It has to be merged with a good system, a good coach or slash manager, and all of the correct pieces in place. So, I think they will be there, but I don't know if I, I I'm not ready to say a powerhouse just yet. Um, similar for for the reasons I just stated, you know. Yeah, 
one even even when city got investment it took them years before they can right uh they can they started to dominate win football matches and and so I was, um, i'm a big fan of eddie howe and i think if you look at city and their rise they had a lot of i'm going to say subpar but less good than eddie howe managers before mm-hmm. they found the right ones that actually helped them build and i think that's Pellegrini. when Newcastle will kind of grow quicker than you got than city did mm-hmm. i i like eddie howe as well by the way i remember many times at bournemouth um I remember actually uh, there was a time he was being considered for the Arsenal job. And mm-hmm. I was all for it. I was I was all for it because I was like he's a young um young manager with bright ideas. Give him the 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 tools of a bigger club and see what he can do and actually he's got that in Newcastle right now. With the money and the reason. Like like okay, Graham Potter. Graham Potter, another one, a good one. By the way, I still think he's a very good manager. He just needs to figure out Chelsea. Chelsea's, we'll get on to Chelsea in a bit, but that's something that he needs to um, he needs to figure out. Once he does, I believe in him, man. I really do. I think he's a very good manager. He played some brilliant football with Brighton, which they are still using and still doing. So, um, yeah, uh, Potter, like uh, Eddie Howe, these are, these are managers that deserve a shout at a big club and are getting that chance. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, it for right now. We're going to take a short break and then we will go on to the three remaining teams from our top six sort of um, race or top four race with the other two positions. So um, we'll be right back. Peace. Peace. Deuces. No. What's going on, guys? Welcome back for the uh, after the break. This is the second part of our episode, and we're gonna we left off at uh, we talked about Man City, Arsenal, the title race between them. We talked about uh, Newcastle and uh, what a story they've gone through so far, and their impact on the top four race. And we're gonna pick up with uh, Man United, the next team who's below on the table. So um, Man United, seven wins in a row, Shiv. Want to talk us a bit? Oh, my boys, my dear boys. It's, it's <laughs> you know, it's so good to see Man United playing the right way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, forget the results. You know, seven wins in a row is, is great in itself. But the, the style of play, the mindset is so different to what we've had in the last few years. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's all down to Ten Hag, and that's great to see. Yeah, um, I don't know how aware you are, but... Rashford missed the first half of the last Premier League game. Disciplinary. Yeah, disciplinary. um, Because he missed, I think he woke up late and he missed a team meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I loved is Ten Hag's mindset is it doesn't matter if you're our best player or our worst. These are the rules. These are the punishments. You will all stick to them. And, And that's the kind of kind of structure and mentality that I think all Man United fans have been begging for the last few years. Mm hmm. I, I completely respect that, you know, like the rules are the rules. Exactly. Don't mess with who, who you are. Yeah, and that's what Rashford said in his interview as well, right? He was like, look, I know I messed up. I, I overslept my alarm. It happened sometimes, but the punishment was fair. And I was just glad I could come on in the second half and play. And um, yeah, I think they respect him. I think it's important. And, you know, let's, we can mention the results. Obviously, seven wins in a row is a ridiculous achievement. 
Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people talk about like seven, eight, nine games undefeated because there's draws in there. But to get seven wins is a huge achievement. And I was looking at, just to mention stats, I saw a Premier League table that started after Man United lost to Brentford. Yeah. And if you had started the Premier League from that point onwards, they'd be second right now, three points behind Arsenal. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt that that was a turning point. He had a bit of a a rocky start in trying to figure out his team, his players. He was trying to embed a style of play that they weren't used to. But now that they are playing that way, I think Man United are very dangerous. And I think in a one-off game, they're capable of beating anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to speak about, you know, the player arguably in some of the best form, Casemiro. Wow, like I've seen him do this to Liverpool at Madrid and now he's doing it for United, which really is annoying, but he's incredible. He's an incredible yeah. well, I like also if... know that it's what you've been crying out for years. Yeah, well <laughs> right? if you asked any Man United fan before this season, who do you want in the transfer market? Everyone would have said the same thing. A creative mid, a CDM, a centre back, and a right winger. I mean, that's a lot of players to ask for, to be fair. Yeah, but all four of them happened. Like, all right, we can argue about Anthony not being... Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. They signed all four of those positions. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, all right, so Ten Hag realised the issue, was given the freedom to go get the players, and actually, three out of the four have been excellent. Mm Anthony is the only one that I feel like is struggling to adapt to England at the moment, but Martinez is a shoe in at centre-back. Casemiro has probably, even though Rashford's been in, in great form, been our best player this season. Mm-hmm. And I think Ericsson's been huge for Man United as well. I think I think there, that's the for me, like I know you sound the big names and, and all of them are playing a part. But for me, that was the biggest signing, not monetary-wise and everything. That has been the key signing for me because you have Casemiro, right? Mm-hmm. You got Casemiro towards the end of the window, fine. But that was such a good pickup from your part because you pair him alongside a, a, a Casemiro who's going to clean up for you no matter what. And that unlocks Ericsson's p- full potential. I mean, he's such a deep line playmaker that I think that that was one of the shrewdest pieces of business I've seen. I know it was between going back to Spurs or, or United and etc. but you know, from where I explain or whatever, but he really does make your team click. I think you take him out, there is a significant piece missing in that midfield. And he's very different to Bruno as well. Bruno is kind of more forward, goal threat, whatever it is on his on his day. But without him, it's, that's where the problems will, will be for you well, guys, in my, in my opinion. Kind of Pirlo type position, doesn't he? Where he plays the ball from a lot deeper, but controls play from there. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he but that position doesn't really have a name. Tempo, I think, control the tempo of the game, the the dictator, or some something along those lines, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Riddick, we, what do you? We think call him. About? We call him Tiago, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we call him. <laughs> we'll Thiago. speak we about us later, but yeah, we have that no, way. I mean, yeah, I'd agree with you. That pairing of Casemiro and Eriksen has been key because a lot of Man United's play style has been built on playing through the lines, giving it to Ericsson to find the forward or, you know, just distribute the play, you know, move the team around. Either, you know, you could do a switch to the other side where, um, you know, you have to shift the whole opposition team out into a different structure to come across. 
So yeah, a lot of good play has been built on that, and you know, Rashford scoring. Um, um, he's being the main man in front of goal. My only concern is for United. Well, I have a lot of concerns because I, I don't like him. But if I'm being realistic, is what about your striker? You don't like. Yes, Rashford's in amazing form, but you don't have that one reliable player. No, I actually absolutely agree with you. I think we have to prioritize signing a striker this summer. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I just don't know if anyone's available. Yeah, I would have loved to have Gakpo, but beyond beyond Gakpo, is there any striker that's actually on the market? Yeah, it's very, it's a very small. Yeah, market. it's a very slim market. I mean, right now, as of we speak right now, you guys kind of are linked to Joao Felix. Yeah. But in he's my opinion, he's whatever position he is. I just slightly before that. Okay, fine. He's not a striker. But then he, you're linked with a six month loan that's no guarantee to turn into a, a permanent transfer who also has ridiculously high loan fees and wages. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, just, that's what I'm saying. I'd rather not say one. I mean, with Jao Felix, just because you mentioned him, if we did sign Jao Felix, I think he's an incredible player. I don't get why yeah. they're trying to sign him. But if we did sign him, then I think we play Rashford through the middle mm-hmm. and Felix on the wing. And or maybe the opposite? Felix in the middle? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've seen Rashford down the middle. I don't... I don't I don't like it. I think he's best off. I think he's better on the, the wing. wing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can do it the other way around. But I think we need to prioritize a striker. I think it comes back to what Rishi you were saying earlier that you can't sign everyone in one window. Mm-hmm. We, we we filled four of our need positions. If I had to put a shopping list together for this summer, I'd say we need a right back and a striker. Mm-hmm. Probably the striker first. What kind of profile striker are you looking for? Are you looking like no no I'm genuinely asking, are you looking for someone Along the lines of a Haaland who's just going to tap every chance in? Or do you want someone who can, uh, I don't know, like a false nine who can bring in your wingers and everything? I don't know. Like, what kind of forward man are you looking for? Or or would you like to see at, at Man United? Yeah, I'd like to see a Harry Kane-esque player. Mm-hmm. If somebody who is, and yeah, technically he's available because he's not signing an extension at the moment. Mm-hmm. But... Um, somebody who's clinical, clinical in front of God. I think that's what Man United have been missing. For all their creative play, we're not very clinical. Martial, Anthony, Fernandez, they miss a lot of chances in games if you watch them. Absolutely, absolutely. And having somebody who can just put the ball in the back of net would be huge. But what's good about Harry Kane is, and he does it for Spurs, he does it for England, yeah. he's quite happy on the break to pick up the ball and let the faster, younger players run off him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His passing is underrated. It's 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 actually really good for a striker. So I think mm-hmm. that kind of level of play, somewhere in between the Haaland, if you will, and yeah, I rate Firmino as a false nine for Firmino, but mm-hmm. somewhere in that gap, someone like a Harry Kane who could do a little bit of both, I think mm-hmm. would be ideal. Yeah. I don't think we're quite ready for a Haaland because you need a ridiculous amount of creative talent behind him to make that that's, work. That's my point. Like if you had, if you had a, someone like a Haaland who's right place right time in the box constantly you don't have that player who is creating and helping around in other areas right so 
that's that's the kind of balance I was asking for. Like, what yeah, do you, if you what, look what at, would you like? Sort of if you look at Harry Kane, look how many assists he gets for Spurs. Oh, I fully agree with you on that. Like, Harry Kane's, I said, his passing is underrated. And when you have players like Son running off of you or and when Richarlison is fit, like, he is a very, very good creator in his own right. And he's clinical. So, like, but I do think there's very slim to, to no one else who could do such, such roles. I mean, there is probably someone who's beyond our, our knowledge, right? But... Yeah. But there's yeah, not that like many elite exactly, exactly. In world football at the moment. It's good. World football's going through a weird patch. But mm-hmm. just to close off kind of the Man United conversation, let me ask you two a question. And you can ask me it for Liverpool too. Sure. Where do you think Man United will finish? I want one position, like one place in the table. Fifth. Um, they're going to finish in top four. I'm just trying to decide if it's fourth or third. It depends. Okay, for me, it depends on what kind of Liverpool do. Liverpool yeah. Spurs, if they what they mm-hmm. do in the window. Mm-hmm. If we we'll come on to Liverpool later, but you know, if Liverpool do sign a player, it changes everything. But based on knowledge we have today, I would say United are going to finish third. Yeah, I would. I again, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on mine. I think fifth, primarily because you will do extremely well, but I feel like something not will go wrong, but you haven't, you will not be able to find the answers to a certain issue down the line when in during the stretch. Yeah, and that's what will eventually cost you. Um, you know, and then. In the summertime, uh, a full year has gone by under Ten Hag, more system and understanding. You'll be able to to pick up from there. That's why I think fifth, specifically, I I think Spurs is actually. Um, I feel like I know Conte is there, but like I I don't know. I'm already seeing signs of like him getting tired or or just like not quitting, but like really complaining a lot and and etc. So I don't know what's going on over there, and I still believe that we will Liverpool will finish top four because over over United or something primarily because when we have had to do it and pull that run together for various different reasons to challenge for the title or to actually make top four as in that COVID season yeah we have done it so we can draw upon the experience largely with the squad that we have unfortunately you do not have that experience you have it individually with like a Casemiro, you have a Varane, you have like individual players that have done it before. But this group of collection, this collection you do, doesn't have it. That's why I feel like, and I feel like we will find an answer and we will finish top four. Yeah, That's why I see it. But I, for me, it's, I, I, I back us. And that's why I think we'll get fourth if we don't sign anyone. That's we, what I'm saying. Like I've, I've, I, will, I think that as well, but I think Newcastle is not going anywhere. I agree. But I feel like, again, depending on the window that we have, if, for example, we bring someone in, I think it could bring us up to third, mm-hmm. potentially. That's no. why I said, I think third, de- depending on what I know now. If, yeah. if, Can if I... after this at like, the end of the window and you know, Liverpool sign someone, Spurs have signed someone, Newcastle have signed someone, it could just change my answer completely. Can I flip the same question on you, Shiv? Like, what do you think, where do you think United will finish? So I think United will finish third. 
You think I, United I, finished I would love to say that we can catch up to Arsenal and City. That I think when I consider that, you know, we have to play City, they have to play each other, we have to play Arsenal. Like this next month is actually going to be key to those three teams mm-hmm. because we're all playing each other multiple times. But I think United have more than Newcastle in the tank. And I think okay. we're far enough ahead of Spurs and Liverpool that it won't, it won't, not that you won't catch us, but that there's enough of a gap there that actually even dropping the odd point won't be a bad thing. Mm. Uh, so I think I, I see I see United being third. Okay, that's fine. Um, as we speak currently, um, United are on what thirty five, along with Newcastle, and the immediately right after them is our next topic point is Spurs on thirty three. Following them is Liverpool on twenty eight. Uh, Liverpool, Man United have played the same amount of games, which we each have a game in hand, basically. Uh, Spurs have played one extra on each of us and eventually way 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 down below is Chelsea in 10th which we'll get to <laughs> but in, in in due time uh so let's let's transition then let's let's talk about Spurs since we uh they're the next team in in this whole situation at the moment what do you guys think is going on and where are the problems? I don't know. Spurs are tricky because I thought they had a good window. I didn't think they had the greatest window. I thought they needed one or two players more. But I thought they had enough. And, you know, their position would say, yeah, they've had enough. They've won games. But if you look at the way they're playing, it's not convincing. Like, in the last, I don't know, 10 games, of, okay, apart from the Crystal Palace game, they've been, they've, fallen behind in all those 10 games and yeah. they've had to come back and win. It, that isn't sustainable. You know, it's no. the same when, I said the same when, you know, in that COVID season when United kept going behind but kept winning after that or kept coming back. Coming yeah. back to win, it's great, you know, once, twice, three times, maybe. But it's not a sustainable way to win and get like sus- into a position of dominance like top four. So that's, one thing. I also think that Conte is a bit hesitant to use some of the guys he signed in the window. Like, he signed Jed Spence, who is a wingback, and, you know, Spurs have had their wingback problems, and he's not used. They've signed Bisuma, he's barely playing. You know, okay, Richarlison's injured, you can say that's unlucky, but he doesn't seem to want to play some of the newer guys, so I don't know if he wanted them in the first place, or if Spurs' recruitment just signed them. Well, I was going to say, I think with Spurs, there's a lot going on off the pitch. Yeah. I think you know, on the pitch, you've got some great talent there, right? I mean, you've got Harry mm-hmm. Kane, Son, you've got Kulisowski, you've got Richarlison. Mm-hmm. And they, they were at their best in that last game. They won, what, 4-0? Yeah. Yes. But off the pitch, there has to be something else going on because Spurs have had a run of some really good managers and no one can make it work there. And every one of them has said something, whether directly or indirectly, about Daniel Levy. Yeah. And I'm just starting to wonder more and more, because I think Conte is an excellent manager, that is there too much going on in the background for Spurs to be successful? Is it is, is Levy too much in control? Um, I think he is. I think he is, because exactly for what you pointed out, They've gone through 
Jose. Okay, now they have Conte. Before that, um, you had a manager in in uh, Pochettino who did extremely well, given the limited space and control he had. But they have reached the ceiling with the limits that they have. They cannot go forward without breaking past that limit. And wait, and, if you remember, they, they sacked him a week before the final, right? Yeah, it was just, the next game itself was a final. If you mm-hmm. were going to sack him, give him a shot at the final and then yeah, sack him. Broken, right? Like, Good right, even if you... Mason, eh, boys? Yeah. <laughs> Managerial so, debut in the cup final against Pep. So I don't know. Like I just think that the 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 like like we've all said, like the, the management of Spurs is is their downfall because they can keep bringing in top um top managers, but without giving them the support and then backing that they need, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, so. they they tend to give like each manager a bit of what they need, and then when a manager almost is there, and the manager like Jose and Conte. They're both like, I'm almost there. Just give me this, this, and this. They'll be like, no, nah, but we've given you that. So you just use that. Like, for example, yeah. you know, like the window Spurs just had. They they needed another centre-back. They only got Longley, who's, he's okay. Like, he's not the best. And yeah. in a back three, what do you need more most of centre-backs? Then you've got another right wing-back who's Jed Spence. He is never used. You've got Basuma, yeah. who's, again, not used. So, you know, Levy will be like, yes, okay, we've signed these players. And Conte's like, okay, I need just one or two more players. And he'll be like, no, but we've given you these guys. Just use them and, you know, we'll see where we go from here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a problem, especially because these big managers, they're used to, they, they have the, the track record to deliver, but only when given exactly, exactly who they want and what they want. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Spurs have a really difficult run coming up. They obviously play Arsenal next week, but then they play City, then Fulham, then City again. Yeah. It's like the two the two teams around them already have a game in hand over them, and then they have to go through that four-game stretch. Yeah. yeah. I was actually looking at bringing in Kane, but then because I saw their fixtures, I was like, nah, I don't know about this. And... Yeah, they have. If we look at it, um, very quickly. Sorry. Don't they have United, um, not Arsenal? No, they have Arsenal on the fifteenth. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. My mistake. My mistake. So they have. I'll. I'll say they have Arsenal, City. Yeah, you're. You're right. They're City, City twice. Wow. It's because they're uh, playing a game that they missed, right? Right. Right. Actually. Having said that, having said that, uh, the next four of the okay, the next four are are tough, but then you after that they have a very very good patch of of winnable games all the way up until April twenty ninth, where they oh sorry April twenty fifth, where they play United again. Oh sorry 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 April twenty second, they play Newcastle, then uh, United. Then Liverpool all back to back to back, yeah. so they're good until. But the question they have is, a nice stretch. The question is, will they fall? Yeah, you know, if they lose to Arsenal and City twice, will they fall too far behind to catch up? Well, even if they do, if they trot along very, very consistently, 
they had the opportunities to gain their ground back with the Newcastle, the United and the Spurs game. So it's kind of in the balance because in those specific games, you're taking points directly off of people around you, right? Sure. So sure. it it is a scenario. And I I mean, I don't know. This season is very different, but Arsenal Spurs have been able to beat Arsenal at, at their ground. And that's the very next game. The City game... It's going to be testing, but again, even if the situation is pretty bad, can we can trust Conte to find a way to beat them? You know, he is a good, he is very good at these, these um master plans of of soaking and deep hitting them on the counter attack, and City have been open to to those kind of uh, counters. And I mean, when you have Son Kane, you always got a chance, right? So. It's it it depends. It's tough, but they they can do something. But this leads me into my next question for both of you: Is where do you see they will finish? Like, what do you think is honestly? Yeah, sixth. Sixth. So all three of us have them sixth. <laughs> is that what I'm missing? Yeah, I, I think they're going to drop massively, and I don't think they're going to be able to. Do you see Conte? finishing the season with them if this window doesn't go the way he wants it to go? I think he'll finish the season. I don't think he'll uh, finish the summer, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get that. They'd be uh, stupid to sack him. No, if I mean, they sack him, no. They're, they're it's not a question of if they sack him. If he, he makes won't. their life a living hell by not by them him not getting what he wanted and then therefore saying that okay you know what i'm not going to do anything for you now and and they go on this incredibly like terrible run my point is like conte is like let, let's just put it this way conte okay got fired from chelsea and won a, in court for them to pay him out <laughs> so you know it's not like um it's not like it's unreasonable. Like he could make life very difficult for yeah. Spurs if if that's the case. So that's my question. Do you think they'll they'll yeah. he'll finish? No, this is important. Uh, if they give him what he wants, then yeah. maybe he stays. But you know, if if he leaves and he walks, you know, Spurs could always get Tuchel because they're in the in the mode of just oh, you know trying to manage. Oh God! Oh God! The next oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, we will move on since all of us have them at sixth to a very, very special team that is just going through a little bit of trial and tribulation at the moment. Yes, we will sir. go with the greatest team England over the years has seen, Liverpool. So much for so much for hosts being neutral, right? I am completely neutral. I'm just stating the facts that they're the most successful English team of all time so far. Okay. Um, so now <laughs> I will I will leave this to you. Shiv and Riddick. What's going on with Liverpool? I'll start with Shiv because Shiv actually no, sorry, I'll start with Riddick because you are Liverpool, you are a Liverpool supporter. And then Shiv, you can give us an outside view when you have when when you hear Riddick. So Riddick. What do you think is the problem? All right. So I've put a lot of thought into this and I'm going to condense it because I could speak about this for a while. We've got a problem where we're kind of in between two play styles. So 
you know, we, we, our recruiting department isn't silly. You know, we've got, we knew that our profile was getting old, our team was getting old. We had to refresh. So we started to do that, but I don't know why, but we've been a bit hesitant in the midfield area. And maybe it's because high profile targets are moving elsewhere. You know, maybe we're hoping and praying that Jude Bellingham joins us, which I think is a real possibility. Don't get me wrong. But I just, you know, I hope it's not like all the eggs in one basket kind of situation where like Jude Bellingham fixes this. But so we've gone into, we're transitioning. We've got new players. We're changing our tactics to fit the new players that we brought in because they these players aren't anywhere near the similar style that we had before. You know, you've got Thiago instead of Gini Wijnaldum. You know, he's the controller. He's the guy on the possession, on the ball. You've got Simicast, you've got Konate, you've got, kind of, you know, Trent, Calvin Ramsey, these young players, Carvalho, Elliot, these are very technical, young, good players who don't have the physicality of our midfield from before, you know, like Henson, Genie and Fab, but they're very new kind of technical players. And obviously you've got Darwin Nunez up front, Gakpo, Diaz, Jota, these are all very, very different attackers. So we're kind of moving to this new play style, but we don't have the midfield to facilitate this new play style. So we're kind of caught in between where we're kind of playing the old style, but kind of playing the new style with the new players, which doesn't work either. So yeah. that's why you're kind of seeing us kind of struggle to control games, struggle to contain games. And so, yeah, it's just been unidentifiable. Like, I don't understand how we're playing because we don't understand how we're playing. We're trying to play this new way with old players. It doesn't work. So obviously we, we are crying for a midfielder. I I believe we'll get one over this winter. And if we do, we can talk about midfield targets in a bit, but if we do, I think one to one midfielder now and two in the window the summer sorts our midfield out for years. Well, there's reports. I mean, Shiv, I also don't know. I'll get to your, your view in just a second just to talk about this. We, we saw reports that um Mateus Cunha oh sorry Mateus Nunez uh mm-hmm. the Portuguese midfielder that I went to Wolves that we were linked to in the summer I have seen various reporters actually say that Liverpool will commit to paying his release clause in the summer so he's already going to come in uh I I'm not saying it's a done deal I'm just saying that I, that's what I've heard and quite uh re- reputed journalists have been saying the same so if to Riddick's point, if we do get a midfielder now and you know the, the Bellingham situation, whatever happens, happens. Um we could see that rebuild happen very, very quickly. But I agree with Riddick. We need I stress the importance of getting someone in now. Um Shiv, what do you see as an outsider looking in or it's tough, you know, because obviously Liverpool have been great for what Five seasons, maybe four, probably mm-hmm. five. But I, I had six, well, five, yeah, one in the middle of the COVID, yeah. I think Liverpool are in a much more precarious position than a lot of people are kind of talking about. And and let me explain. I think the squad is aging. You know, we, we we've spoken about this offline, but just to mention to those listening, Thiago's thirty-one, Salah's thirty. BVD is 31, Firmino is 31, Hendo is 32, Fabinho is 30, and Matip is 31. Mm-hmm. 
So there's definitely age in the squad. And I don't think the transfer market has been particularly good for you guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you've signed in the right positions. And it almost feels a little bit like that position United have been in for the last two, three years, where the fans are crying out for a position and the board is signing everybody but that position. Mm. And yeah. that's precarious to me because you could you could do the right thing here, right? And this is why the next two transfer windows are so interesting. You could go out and get Nuno and um, and Bellingham and spend $150 million on two great midfielders. And all of a sudden, you're... Yeah, Back on track. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I think you've got the forward. You've got Gakpo now, who I think is an incredible striker. You've mm-hmm. got young fullbacks. But you could also not. And if you don't, mm-hmm. I could see it being a long time for you to build back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not talking a year or two. I'm talking five to six. Yeah. Because it would take ages to rebuild your team if you mess up here. Yeah, yeah. And and this is why I see this as like a cliff edge moment for Liverpool. These next two windows are key to deciding mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Liverpool. And I think that's why FSG are selling, by the way. I think they know it. They see the risk here. Liverpool at the moment is at the highest value it's ever been at because of the last five seasons. Well, six yeah. years, five seasons. But it, if it declines here and all of a sudden, you know, he needs to put 300 million in to buy a whole new squad, then from an investment standpoint, it doesn't make sense. I think, by the way, to your point, I think he's, the the, the JW, like they've realised that our system, the way we like to run it, has brought us this great success, but it has come to the point where we can no longer sustain the same uh, system. And therefore you are seeing this, the case where we need, we often said this, right? Like, I mean, in the years gone by when we're battling City, City, sorry. How often have we seen that they go and buy a hundred million pound player like Jack Grealish and just bring him off the bench. And whereas I mean, don't get me wrong, I like our approach, but sometimes you, we go and buy a very young Javier or like a diamond in the rough and try and build him to that point. So they have also realized in the, in the last uh, year or two that they cannot sustain this for long enough. Like they need to, they need to be in a position where they are strengthening from a position of power rather than like catching up. And I don't think that they have they are a capable of, of keeping the same system. So that's, I, to your point, I agree that they realize that they're selling. Um, these next two windows are hugely important. I personally think that if we do not get a midfielder this window, it is serious danger. Like I'm talking serious. And I love Liverpool. I, I will always be an optimist back, them to whatever until it's impossible i would believe it's possible right but you're asking a lot a lot of 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 the team to go and do it so we need a midfielder in this window and i'm actually of of slightly different thinking like i know people are going like just pay the money for for example right now the names are linked to our caicedo uh you know and and a few others i'm actually of of the thinking that at this situation, we need someone. So if you can't afford a Caicedo, go pay a slightly, uh, go pay for your second option, which could be Amrabat or whatever it is, and get him in the squad. He's cheaper. He is older, yes, but 
he can fill in the position yeah, right go, now. Go get someone. But, yes. Uh, well, don't just wait for your number one choice because it can bite you. And yes, we have a good record of waiting for the right player at the right time, but you need bodies. Like but also Dortmund, they're very good at driving prices up. Like they're very exactly. good in the transfer market. They're not going to give Bellingham cheap. We've seen I know before, that. Right? I know that. I've seen this. Oh, go on, Rithik. You, you mentioned this point. Yeah, well, we've seen this before that we won't do that. We won't. We will wait for our number one target. We did it two years ago when we risked, we binned off the uh, the COVID season where we scraped in, where we got third because we didn't sign Konate. We wanted Konate. We waited for Konate. It is like that. I think that the midfield, we're in a situation where because of the way the last couple of years has gone in the transfer market, where we have to sign multiple midfielders in one or one or two windows. So I think we will sign someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then... I think that someone could be Kaiseido, by the way, because just a little transfer talk, like the journalists are saying that one of the biggest issues revolving him was his agent and just like the end of last week coming into this week he he changed his agent so there's a lot of moving pieces and like like the guy will they even sell him in january like to a competitor he wants, he, like, he'd want if we fork over 60 70 they'd, they'll sell i think so yeah. yeah and and i did also read again Riddick must have seen uh will remind can remind us of the journalist i i did read that we have about 200 to 250 million to spend in the summer. That's what re- reputed journalists are saying. So the rebuild is is there, is, is is already committed for the summer because we all know that Jude is available, could be coming, could be coming in the summer. I'm not going to say he's for sure coming. You never know how these things work. But the the owners at the moment have committed to to this 200 to 250 million rebuild. So it's there. <laughs> no, but my point spend. is, I, I, I know that. I know that. It's not their money, but whatever it is, the board, the, the management, like the whole club has realized that the rebuild is needed and the money will be there for them. Uh, we are aging in key areas, but if we get these three targets, for example, in a world where we get a Caicedo, we get a uh, Mateus Nunez, and we get a Jude Bellingham, all of a sudden that age has gone drastically lower have yeah. key experience mixed in with good youth. And in the attacking areas, I think we're, we'll be fine, by the way. We have Gakpo, 23, Nunez, 22. Um, Salah is there. I think he's he's the way he's, he maintains his body, he's, he's going to be very, very good. Jota off the bench. Um, yes. So yes. we are Diaz is there. Luis Diaz, I can't believe I forgot to mention him. He's 25, I think. So very yeah. young. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think you've seen it this season at United. The impact that a midfield refresh can have is unbelievable. United look like a different team now. And, mm. you know, I think the same would be true of Liverpool. I don't think your defence is bad. I think it's getting overrun. Yeah. Which, you know, you could argue that, yeah, I think we talked about this with United as well. Their defence wasn't as good as Liverpool's defenders are, but they were being asked to do so much. And that's what's happened, happening to Liverpool's defence. You don't have players protecting your defenders and you're getting caught out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That... What do you boys think of Kanate? Let's talk about Kanate. I mean... Oh, France's best defender by far. 
he was amazing. Okay, yes, he had one bad game, but he wasn't a reason. Yes, okay, you could say he was kind of the reason we lost the game, but th- he is just part of an issue. I've got one question for you guys. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. So we have targets of Bellingham and Caicedo. Caicedo, they say, is 70-ish million. Bellingham, we know, is like 100. Now, who would you buy? Both of them improve us drastically. I like I don't if you could only pick one between these two to join Liverpool, guaranteed, who would you pick? Oh, Bellingham or Caicedo. Is there an option for both? <laughs> Ideally, um, yes. Ideally, yeah. So from my perspective, just while you have a thing, Richie. Yeah. I would go Bellingham. Yeah. And I mean my logic, yeah, my logic yeah. is really really this i think casita's excellent in a very compact system mm-hmm. um yeah you've seen him with brighton the way brighton play i mean i'm a big fan of Brighton's play anyway yeah, yeah. Uh, they play quite a compact midfield mm-hmm. whereas what i've seen with bellingham is for dortmund and for england he not only holds the midfield but he goes forward yeah yeah. And his attacking play, his passing is excellent. Yeah. And I think that justifies having Bellingham because he won't just give you that defensive solidarity. Mm-hmm. He'll also give you that Ericsson deep lying playmaker type ability. Yeah, he can do it all. I mean, he's the one who started England's um goals goal scoring in the in the World Cup, right? So he can give you that deep run into the yeah. box, kind of like a Lampard or Gerard of the past, right? Those late runs into the box, he can provide them to you. So, I mean, I was definitely going to, I was going to answer uh, Jude Bellingham because in my head, in this scenario, okay, you have a Thiago who's still going to be able to play, definitely, for sure. Um, you have a Bellingham. I personally think you can find a um a six and build him while Fabinho is still there because yeah. a combination of those three will give will will take a pressure less uh, will take the pressure off Fabinho. The reasons we say he looks too old or, or his legs are shot or whatever it is right now is because he's been asked to do way too much yeah. in in the midfield covering for uh you know an Elliot and and a Thiago. Whereas if they're if there is another one present who's doing a good amount of running, good amount of pressing from the start front. And don't forget to Klopp's point where he mentioned in the press conference this week, when you have your players back who can press from the front, Nunez does a good job of pressing and working hard at front up the front. Like he's not those are not his problems. Problem is we talk about is is his uh clinicalness in front of goals but he works extremely hard he's very fast he's physical Jota the same works hard he presses like a monster Diaz the exact same so when you have the full um full um full team available again to you and then you add in that Jude Bellingham uh you will see a completely different um product being produced by Liverpool in, in terms of how we play, because of the fact that our defending has begun from the front and can be capable of being supported by our midfield. Right now, we can defend from the front, but as soon as they get by those front players, the midfield can't keep up with that same 
a pressure that they are pressing with. So that's the real sort of issue I see. But yeah, I mean, I would love a Kaiseido, but I am also of the belief that I was really impressed with what I saw with Amrabat. And if you can bring him in, like I know he's not first choice. I know that. But he is definitely of someone who can make a difference in this season for us. Well, I think you're more likely to get Bellingham and Amrabat than Bellingham and Kaiseido. Right, because nah, you have naturally when one is open, mate. When it's one is money. more expensive, they're not going to spend two hundred million on two players. Uh I mean, we've heard that Kaiseido is definitely a serious, serious thing here, and there are rumors and and like suggesting that he could actually be done this window. And if he does do it this window, that strengthens our claim for top four significantly. Yeah. Right? And I, I saw you said, like, he, he's very good in compact systems. I think a, a traditional club midfield is workmanlike, it's horse-like. We've seen it for many years, right? Uh, and it's compact, it's tight, it's get it to the get it to the forward players, being able to carry the ball. So, and he can fit that system extremely well. So I think that it's, and he's also very young, which is he him along with Bellingham could be the, the next, you know, five to 10 years, given like, depending on how things go. So I'm, I'm excited, but at the same time, I would love to see someone in now because now is very important for the future. Yeah. yeah, and I like to answer my own question. I was gonna say who I think would help us most. I mean, who I think would fix our current problems, you know, being cut open on transition at this stage, I'd say Kaiseido. Mm-hmm. But who would I pick? I'd still pick Bellingham. I yeah. think Bellingham, I mean, is, Bellingham just... is just such a good player, man. Yes, and the thing I value the most, I know, I'm sorry, I, I said the, <laughs> the thing I value most about Bellingham. He's so mature, like for a nineteen-year-old, he is younger than all three of us. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. So yeah. Oh, just out of interest, I think with positions at the end of the year, um, for Liverpool, yeah, I think that they will finish fifth. On the caveat that I don't think you're going to sign a midfielder. Okay. Okay. If okay. you do sign a midfielder, I think you'll finish fourth. But okay. if I had to kind of put money on it now, I'd say you're not going to sign one. Sign so a midfielder. Okay, fair. Uh, Rithik, where do you see us finishing? If we sign a midfielder, hmm, I'm going to back us to finish third. If we don't sign a midfielder, I think we'll, we could still scrape fourth. I Yeah, like I said, I think we'll finish fourth. Uh even if we don't sign one, but it's tremendously hard and it's going to be a very tough ask. Yeah. Um, all right. That ends our little segment on Liverpool. Now, the last team in this race that is really limping and really trying their best to keep up is Chelsea, who currently sit in 10th on 25 points. Thoughts, <laughs> thoughts, everyone, because I think their race is, they're not in this race for a top uh, four, in my opinion. I think there's way too many things going on for them. There's so many 
the structure of their entire club has changed over the summer. They got a new manager and they're trying to figure out things. I don't think they'll come anywhere near the top uh, four. But uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I agree with you. I, I just I just can't see it happening for them. I think Aubameyang was a city transfer. Yeah. I think they don't have a goal scorer. Their centre-backs are both ageing. I, I think they're quality players, but they're both 30-plus now. Yeah. Um, so is Aspie, actually. Um, uh, sorry, I, I having said that, they just signed... They had signed Fofana over the... Um, over the summer from Leicester yeah. and they've also yeah, signed another yeah. French centre-back. But yeah. But Favano hasn't doesn't really start, does he? No. He's injured. No. Oh, he's injured. Maybe that's why. But I just, they've got too many problems. You know, midfield, they're not creative enough. I don't think Sterling's good enough anymore. Um, Mount on and off. Havertz can't finish. Like They've just got too much happening at the same time. I think Potter's an excellent manager. Mm-hmm. I think he'll salvage something out of the season, maybe like a like a sixth or seventh type battle with Spurs. But uh, I don't think they're in the top four race at all. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think they'll just. Uh, I think they've. I don't know if officially they won't say it, but I think that they might have just like written off the season, maybe go as deep as they can in the cup. Um, but realistically, it'll be. They'll already be planning for for next uh, season, and that will be a fair reflection of Potter because then that'll be a, a, a group, a, or at least one window or two windows with his type of players in, with his type of um, tactics and everything as well. So, yeah, I think they're potentially written off, but yeah, I think- well, they they've got Inkunku to come in. He's a good player. Yeah, yeah true. Good right. brother. He's, they've got they've got um that new center back. They just signed a very young center back. So, but I don't know. Their recruiting is it's 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 interesting. Let's just put it that way. They don't. It's erratic, see... in my opinion. Yes, yeah. it's Todd Bowley buying whatever he feels like. But I think. I'm right in saying this. There's been rumors that if they lose to City tomorrow, then yeah. tomorrow is obviously the cup tie between Man City and um, Chelsea. But there's rumors that the board are going to talk to Potter about his performance. And already, already, that that's what the rumor was. Wow. And I actually think it's a mistake. I think they have to give Potter time. Well, they gave him a five-year deal. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think if they do that, it'd be incredibly stupid. Oh my god! <laughs> if at, at that point you might as well should have just kept what's his name, uh, Tuchel in, and given Potter the reins from the summer onwards. I I think Tuchel was always uh, Tuchel was always gone. I don't think he wanted him. Uh, I don't think I so think, either. I think I think he wanted someone who is more, um, kind of. A manager who is more willing to work with the board, to work with him, to kind of mm-hmm. work out what they need to do. And I think Tuchel didn't want to do that. I think he just wanted to focus on the coaching of the players itself. But yeah. is this then a Spurs-like situation where the board are getting too involved? No, I don't think so. I I feel like it's different because a they have just they just changed owners, so. You know, the, the owner needs to see what's happening around the he club. He needs to set a structure first. Yeah, yeah. and 
So I think that's why it's a bit different to Spurs. Yeah. Realistically, I think... I, yeah, go ahead, Ruth. I was just saying, like, a lot of Chelsea's problems are they have just so many injury-prone players. They've got Chilwell, who's injury-prone. He's always injured. They've got Reese James, who's injury-prone. He's had two or three injuries this season alone. You've got Kante, who's injury-prone. Kovacic, who's, I think, their best midfielder, injury-prone. They have... Yeah. That's just four off the top of my head. And I think they need... A, okay, they need to avoid injuries somehow. But I think they need time. I think Potter needs time to just assess the squad and just kind of build a structure. Because they, they they don't... Chelsea managers haven't had time in the past and this is the difference. Now, he needs time. Yeah, I agree. And... If they do consider that, that'll be a very, very silly move. So, um, but then again, it would also fall under the lines of Ch- Chelsea just doing Chelsea type things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, that's it, boys. I mean, I think we've covered really a lot of the teams there who are involved in the race, and I think we've gone through in depth of a lot of the teams. This season's top four race is even more like even more exciting, given that you have some new, new newcomers, uh, coupled with the traditional teams or the big teams struggling. So it's a very very key and interesting battle all the way through. I'm sure we'll have to revisit the same topic uh, a month or two down the line uh, when we come very very close to the end, but. That's it from us today, boys. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We, if you disagree, or or wanted to add any any of your uh, points of view to our topics, then please find us on the Games Gone podcast on Twitter. We're available over there, and get involved with us. You know, we can um, we can we will leave a poll uh, as to in the in the description of this episode as to who you think will finish top four if you could um, facilitate that and, and give us your opinions over there. That would be incredible. So, yeah, that's it from everyone over here. Um, Shiv, any last words? No. Uh, be interesting to see what Liverpool do. But I think, yeah, we'll do, we'll do a recap of this episode at some point. But we, the next we, three we four to, weeks yeah. are going to be key to the top four race. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed. Yeah. we On your point, we will revisit it after the window because that's when we know exactly who has what till the very end so we can revisit it after the uh, window any last words Rithik? no we just hope you enjoyed the episode thanks for listening Um, yeah thanks for listening everyone do catch us and please get involved with us on social media we are um, we are we are grateful that you keep listening to us and we hope that we want to grow this even further so share it with your friends share it with your family and that's all from us Deuces! Stop it, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. 2023, I'm bringing deuces back. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. Peace.